Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. We just have to be honest. Everything about John the Baptist is strange. Am I right? For one thing, the guy sets up his preaching ministry out in the wilderness, which everybody knows you want to be on a corner of a bustling street, John, if you really want to set up a thriving ministry. But no, he goes out into the desert. His outfit seems a little bit curious as well. He's got the the camel hair garb and the leather belt. And then, of course, his diet of bugs and wild honey. And you think, who is this guy? What is it about? Why is he so appealing that the crowds, the throngs of people are flowing out to him. But you know, maybe the the strangest thing of all about John the Baptist, at least for us 21st century modern Americans, the strangest thing of all might be for us the content of his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, for us, When we hear kingdom, we can't help but hear a place. We think of something like the kingdom of Great Britain. Or for me, because I'm a fan of the show The Crown, any other Crown fans out there? You know, I think of pictures of, you know, Queen Elizabeth, and, or maybe you think of uh, now Prince William, Prince Henry, and all of the stuff that's in the National Enquirer every week about all the royals, right? When we hear kingdom, that's what we think of. And so it can sound very curious, very strange to us because we think, well, kingdom or the kingdom of heaven, is that just another shorthand for talking about heaven? What does all of this mean? Now, this isn't just some innocent omission for us in terms of our understanding and grasping the real heart of the the message of the New Testament, of the scriptures. One biblical scholar, a guy by the name of Jeff Gibbs, says this. He says, if we have lost this worldview of the kingdom of God, then for us the message of Matthew's entire gospel and of the New Testament will lose its full impact and meaning. In other words, if we don't really grasp what it is that John means when he says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, we're not going to grasp, we're not going to get why the good news is so good. I think it's a challenge for us. Because this whole idea of kingdoms, royalty, is so far from our ears. So this morning, I want to go back. I want to rewind a little bit in terms of history and into the Old Testament to understand what did the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God mean for God's Old Testament people? Why was this part of their hope? And why did it seem to be such good news for them? And now is it for us? So let's go back. Let's go way back, actually. We can go all the way back to the very beginning of creation. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. And how many days does it take for him to create? Six days, right? And on the seventh day, you know, it's really tiring creating the universe. He needs to take a break. He has to rest. Is that really why? Because God was tired from all that creating? No. God's resting is a reflection of his divine sovereignty over the cosmos. The fact that he rests demonstrates that he is king, that he rules over all creation. It's part of his royal prerogative to rest. Think back to in the ancient world. People did not rest. People did not take a day off. 
But God takes a day off. The, the people who are able to take a day off are kings, are royalty, the ones who are in charge. And incidentally, this is part of what the, the message is for you and me when God institutes the Sabbath, the day of rest for us. He's saying in a subtle way, you too are royalty because you bear that image of God. See, It's not just about taking a day off. It's part of your identity and vocation in the world. But anyway, from the very beginning, God reigns and rules over all creation. And we have to get into our minds. When we hear kingdom, that's what it's really about. It's not a static place, the kingdom of such and such, the kingdom of this or that place. It is a dynamic reign and rule. It's the activity of God, that God as king reigns and rules over his creation for its redemption and its restoration. When Old Testament people heard kingdom, that's what they thought of. The kingdom of God is wherever God is ruling as king. You with me? So that all seems well and good. Where does it go wrong? <laughs> it goes wrong when God's people think, well, this is great that God is king, but wouldn't it be nice if we had a human king as well? Wouldn't it be cool if we had an earthly king? It's interesting, you read the Old Testament and the, the story is told in the book of 1 Samuel and it sounds just like what people do nowadays. Like what the Israelites say to Samuel, the, the prophet at the time, they say, Samuel, why can't we have a king just like all the other people? All of the other nations have kings, why can't we have one? People are still saying that, right? Mom, why can't I have that? Tommy has one. We say, hun, why can't we get a car like that? The Joneses have one. This is a very ancient temptation. And so it was for the people of God. They said, we want a human king who will rule over us, just like all the other nations. And God's response to the prophet Samuel is telling. God says, he says to Samuel, Samuel, look, they're not rejecting you, okay? They're rejecting me from being king over them. They're rejecting me from being king over them. So essentially, the Israelites of the Old Testament were rejecting that reign and rule of God and saying, God, your kingdom is all well and good, but we want a human earthly kingdom. From that point, things continue to unravel until finally, fast forwarding quite a bit, we get to the point where the prophet Isaiah laments Lord, we have become like those over whom you have never ruled. The people find themselves taken away from their homeland, placed into exile. Even that human monarchy comes to an end. They don't even have a human king to reign and rule over them. They are completely bereft, lost of any sign of the, the kingdom of God still existing. They are a people that is mourning in lonely exile, without hope and without help in the world, because they have lost that reign and rule of God. But still, but still, the hope was springing for them of a day that would come when God would restore his reign and rule, when the king would return. Now, when you read your Old Testament, there are promises and prophecies of this all over the place. But one of the most beautiful uh, distillations of that is what we heard in our Old Testament reading from the book of Isaiah today, from Isaiah chapter 11. And Isaiah promises, he prophesies a day when th this branch will come, the root of Jesse, a future king 
who will reign over his people. And in that day, as Isaiah paints it, the wolf will lie down with the lamb and little kids will play over the, the adder's hole. They'll play with snakes even. It's a picture of new creation, of when the kingdom of God comes, it means the redemption and renewal of all creation. That was the hope of God's people as they were waiting and longing for it. But in the meantime, they were mourning in lonely exile. It was like it says in the, the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It was always winter and never Christmas, so to speak. They were waiting and longing for the return of the king, for the restoration of the kingdom, the reign and rule of God. So that brings us back to where we pick it up with John the Baptist. From time eternal, from the very beginning, God had been the king and had his kingdom, his reign and rule over all creation. But his people foolishly rejected that, wanted a human king. And things unraveled and fell apart from there until finally they got to their low point in exile without even a, a human king. But still there was that longing and that hope for the kingdom to be restored, for the king to return when he would renew his creation. That was the hope that they longed for. And now, John the Baptist comes preaching, and the people come streaming out to him. Why? Even as he is telling them, repent, you brood of vipers. People don't usually go a long way just to be insulted, right? But here they are streaming out to him. Why? Because they hear that message, that ancient hope. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The reign and rule of God is here in our midst. He has come just as he promised from of old. It's the return of the king. Or it's like as it says in the line, the witch in the wardrobe, now Aslan is on the move. The first hints of the good news for the people of old in Narnia. So it's as if John the Baptist is saying, God is on the move. The king is coming back. And so the people come out to him. And this is the message of our Lord Jesus. In his ministry, he comes to bring the kingdom, to restore that ancient reign and rule. And in fact, this is interesting. In uh, John's first words are repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A chapter later in Matthew's gospel, the very first words that we hear from Jesus are verbatim the same as John the Baptist. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus came proclaiming and enacting this reign and rule of God. Throughout his life and ministry, Jesus is about redeeming and restoring the broken, fallen creation. For example, you see this in the miracles of Jesus. And sometimes we think of Jesus' miracles just as kind of like proofs for his divinity. Demonstrations that he really is the son of God. And they are that. But they're not merely that. See, when Jesus is healing the sick, when he, he's helping the lame to walk, when he's raising the dead, when he's restoring creation, those are revelations, pictures, windows into that kingdom of God, that reign and rule of God that is being restored. And what we see in Jesus' own ministry, this is what's happening now, what will one day happen for the entire creation. The deaf will hear, the blind will see, the lame will walk, the poor will have good news preached to them. Such as it is in the kingdom of God, 
this is what Jesus comes to bring. He forgives sins, but more than that, he forgives and restores and renews all of creation. He comes to enact that vision of Isaiah from of old, that now all things are being renewed and restored. But here's the trick. And what John the Baptist didn't see, maybe couldn't see, that kingdom of God comes, that reign and rule of God comes, not by God just simply coming in power and casting the axe at the root. Well, that axe comes right at the root of Jesse. That reign and rule of God comes by the branch, the one who was hoped for by himself being chopped down for the sake of the people. Christ Jesus brings that kingdom not through force, not through coercive power. He brings that kingdom through weakness and lowliness. He brings it through his cross. That's the instrument of his kingdom. It was a corrective for John, and I think it's a corrective for us too, to know that the kingdom of God has come through our Lord Jesus but it has not yet come in full. In this life, we only get an imperfect vision of that kingdom. On the front of your worship folder, you have a, a painting there, a famous picture by an artist by the name of Edward Hicks, a 19th century uh, American painter, and it's called The Peaceable Kingdom. And you've probably seen that before. It was inspired by that vision from the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 11, of the, the animals, the lion dwelling with the lamb, and so forth. But as I was researching that painting, I thought of it as, you know, as I'm studying and meditating over these texts, I was doing some research about it, and I kept finding very similar paintings, and yet different. I couldn't seem to find, I was like, which one is the peaceable kingdom? Because I, I was seeing one and then another, and they were just a little bit different come to find out that Edward Hicks painted more than 60 versions of the same painting. So if some of you can, are looking at that, you're like, I've got that on my wall, but it doesn't quite look like that. He made more than 60 versions of the same painting. And why did he do that? Well, because he was a perfectionist, first of all. But along with that, he had this sense he couldn't quite get that picture of the kingdom perfect. He just kept trying, but as hard as he tried, he kept seeing imperfect visions of the kingdom. And to me, that's irresistibly metaphorical for our life in this world. We continue to get imperfect, unfulfilled visions of the kingdom of God. Christ Jesus has come already, and by his death and his resurrection, he has brought the kingdom in principle Already we receive the forgiveness of sins and that foretaste of the feast to come through the Lord's Supper. Already we have the comfort and the consolation of the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, as it's met to us here in the church. We get those little pictures and glimpses of that reign and rule of God, but it has not yet come in full. We're still seeing an imperfect, unfulfilled vision, and we all know it. As we continue to sojourn through this life, experiencing death and sorrow, and suffering, and pain. The kingdom of God has come, but it has not yet come in full. We get an imperfect vision of it in this life. But the season of Advent, 
is the time of year when we're able to hear that announcement, that good news, when our hope can be rekindled. God is on the move. The kingdom of God, the reign and rule of heaven is being restored and renewed right in our midst. Behold, your king comes to you, bringing salvation. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.